there was a, like a ball of energy there. He said, this is the energy of your soul that you've left behind in spirit. So I want you to come and experience what you experience when you come back from incarnation. Right. So we approached both of, he took my hand and we both approached these, this ball of light and I went into it and I became a giant. I grew and my guide, he went up with me and I was like this huge giant. And he said, and it was very clear, be aware of the magnificence of your soul because you are much more than what you ever even can conceive a being. Absolutely. Your soul is magnificent and you have no idea how much love and energy of peace and understanding is encapsulated within your soul because you are part of source. Absolutely. And then he said, just remember that when things go rough, remember how magnificent you are. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Okay. <laughs> All righty then. Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. So great to be with you again. I've got another delicious man to introduce you to today, an author and a clinician. His name is Michael Hoffman. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you for having me, Karen. Now, I'm, he's got a quite an extensive bio. I'm going to read out his bio here because, boy, has Michael been through an full life you've lived and you've had so many experiences both positive and negative you really have the whole gamut of the human experience so um he's known by a few names one of them is michael hoffman one of them is mike hoffy on facebook and your pen name patrick j mccallick right which is um what we'll talk about that later so michael is a cognitive behavioral counselor certified neurofeedback provider and international consultant and trainer. He worked as a clinician in the administration of EEG neurotherapy treatment for patients with alcohol and other drug addictions and conducted extensive training events regarding neurofeedback for psychologists, psychiatrists and other licensed counsellors in the US, Latin America and Europe. Michael was born and raised in Mexico, growing up in a bilingual and bicultural family. His early family life was unstable, violent and traumatic as his alcoholic father abandoned him in an orphanage when his, and his mother fled to the US, deserting her husband's uncontrolled violence. Subsequently, he left to attain high school and college in the United States where he obtained degrees in psychology and sociology. Three years after he graduated from college, he joined a doomsday cult, as you call it, which affected him for decades, leaving him feeling disturbed and suffering bouts of PTSD. After many years and five years of afterlife research, 
this collapsed literally decades of intermittent periods of PTSD. As an author, he has written several professional articles for international journals and other scholastic publications on community mobilization and substance abuse prevention. He's also the author of professional articles and training manuals on community mobilization for planned social change and technical manuals for EEG neurofeedback, mainly in Spanish. Author of The Face of the Iguana, Freedom from Toxic Beliefs, A Journey in Healing and Transformation. This is a book born out of his experiences in a new age doomsday cult and the five decades that followed that fateful event. He shares what he learned from attaining many years of fear-based beliefs, starting from his early days as a member of the Catholic Church and later as a seminarian. In his book, he leads the reader on adventures of mystery and intrigue, as well as descriptions of his mirthful memories of his family and experiences. Michael continues to expand his knowledge of evidential afterlife research and is currently engaged in other writing projects on the subject. So, as I say, a full life, Michael, like starting with an abusive uh, alcoholic father. How old were you when you um, started to experience the wrath of his violence? That's about five, yeah. Uh, it, it could even be sooner than that. Uh, I, I heard a lot of screaming and yelling and uh, didn't quite understand what that was all about. Of course, when you're a child, you don't really quite understand, especially, but, you, but it doesn't stop from impacting you because obviously uh, it, it's to a child, it scares you. And I think many uh, of us who have gone through dysfunctional families, we know very well the terror that is uh, that's conditioned when you hear your parents screaming and yelling at each other or uh, having your mother be subjected to a have a knife uh, kitchen knife at her throat and uh, almost being plunged into her from my father and having us as children being the only ones to step in and break it up if i don't i if we had not interfered for example i, I know that my mother would not be alive she would not have lived so does that kind of explain the, the terror that? Yeah. So how how um, old was were you when your mum left? I was ten years old. She okay. So left. she she left and she fled to the United States. Right. And then and then your father put you in an orphanage, right? My father disappeared, and oh. uh, my my grandfather, excuse me, my grandfather and another family member decided well. We don't know what to do with them. So what we'll do is we'll just uh, put them in an orphanage from a Catholic priest that they knew. And uh, it was a local orphanage. And it was for indigent, abandoned children, Mexican children. Um, but it was a complete shock to my system. Yeah. And so I, I was literally just paralyzed with fear and anxiety. I was bullied. Uh, made fun of um, why are you why are you here you're a white boy and you have 
blue eyes and what are you supposed to, what are you doing here? So it was continual bullying and I couldn't eat the food. I had to fish weevils out of a bowl of beans. Uh, they, and they had to teach me how to fish the weevils out because if not, I'd eat the beans with the weevils. And I mean, it was just, as I look back on it, I go, did I actually go through that or was that just a bad dream? And no, I, I mean, I went through it and it was just like, wow. So I felt abandoned by my mother. I felt abandoned by my father. That wasn't a bad thing. <laughs> then I felt abandoned by my grandfather and my other family member. And what do you do when you're 10 years old and you're going through all these experiences? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it reminds me, just before we came on uh, the recording, we were talking about um, uh, Wayne Dyer. He, he went through similar experiences as a child as well, right. uh, growing up in an orphanage, being abandoned by his parents. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's amazing. All right, and you got out of the orphanage, but you said that you, your step in the book, you said that your stepmother was, like, um, very good to you. So at some point you were living at home with your father and stepmother, right? That yes, eventually uh, when I well after this the orphanage, I I said I have to find a way to get out of here. So um, oh, there's a seminary in town. Well, um, they're asking for people to come forth if they have vocations. So I said, oh, I have a vocation. So I went down to the seminary and I was admitted into the Catholic seminary. They they took them young back then. And um, so at, at 11, I was in the seminary. And I had, that was the beginning of my real heavy duty training in fear-based belief systems right there. And a lot of interesting things happened in that, in that, in that organization. I, I was abused in different ways. Let me just put it that way. Um, I don't know if you remember in the book the story about the, the, the woman that came to the door of the seminary. This small woman, she was covered in a shawl, and in her shawl she had a baby. And I had a cassock on, which was... Oh, yeah, that's a beautiful part in the book. Yeah, you're 13, right? I'm 13. And, and, she, has uh, the, and she says her baby has died, and it needs to be baptized. Right. Mm. And I was the doorman for the day, and I said, well... I told her in Spanish, I'm, I'm not a priest, ma'am, I, I, but I will go look for a priest. And so I went looking for a priest, and I couldn't find one. So I had no priest in tow. I had just had myself. And she says, but Father, and here's she's talking to this 13-year-old, but you have a cassock on. That means you can baptize my child. I don't want it to go to purgatory. And so I got a glass of water. And I baptized, the, the child was listless. I mean, totally listless. And I, I, I said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Well, I found out later that according to canon law, uh, in an emergency, anybody can baptize anybody. So, yeah. but then I told my uh, prefect and I told the, the priests that were in charge, I said, this is what happened and I need to tell you. She said, he said, Two of them, two of the priests said, really, you fell for that. You let that woman 
uh, tease you or, or, or uh, pull the wool over your eyes. You really think that that child was dead? I said, as far as I was concerned and as far as that woman was concerned and the tears streaming, streaming down her face, yes, that child was dead. Mm. And basically they just said, oh, how daft of you. I don't know. There was a few, I had a few emotions during that story. One that, um, you know, you talk about belief systems, like the religious sort of belief system is that if you're not baptized, like an innocent child, if it's not baptized and it dies, it goes to hell. I thought to myself, how ridiculous is that? But, you know, she believed it. And, um, and then that sort of that the priest saying, you really thought that child was dead? And I'm like, well, does it matter if it's dead or not? I didn't kind of get what that meant. Um, I have to say, I'm not brought up in, in the sort of whole religious dogma thing. So um, look, the, the experience that you went through was a beautiful experience for you because you had some sort of like, you know, experience of feeling that the grace of the divine in that moment of deciding to help this woman, regardless about what you were doing, you were yeah, helping somebody, that. you were helping somebody who was yeah. pleading, whether the child was dead or not dead or whatever. The, the woman had belief systems that to her meant that her child's safety, both in this life or in the afterlife was dependent on whether it was baptized. And you gave her some peace of mind around that a 13 year old boy. So it was beautiful. Yes. Karen, it was a sacred moment because yeah. my heart my heart connected with that woman's heart and that child's heart and i said to myself if i can only bring some relief to this woman everything will be fine yeah and i saw that woman i mean then she 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 grabbed my hand and after i baptized the child she grabbed my hand and wanted to kiss it and i said and i kept pulling away she says no 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 i have to kiss your hand i have to kiss your hand because you saved my child from going to purgatory. And, and I just, uh, I think you're just great father. She kept calling me father. And she turned around and she walked away. She never looked back. Mm. And, I, and I go, what just happened here? I mean, yeah. it was just like, but I felt a pull of my heart. And I mean, to this day, I can still feel that connection with that soul, those two souls. Yeah. Whether or not he was alive or not, or, or or whatever, I still feel that connection. That connection's still there because it was a very sacred moment. Yeah, absolutely. That's what happens when we help people, uh, and it it allows our heart to open up. And when your heart opens up, the universe pours through. Yeah, exactly. And the universe is nothing but unconditional love. Mm. Well, that was, yeah, just the, that was just the, the beginning of your journeys. Uh, so you left the seminary. How, and you went to college in America, right. you know, learned to speak. You became an American. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank God. I really identified with the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> and three years after you, you graduate, so you studied uh, psychology and sociology so you're already on your way, like you're already thinking about belief systems and how the mind works. And right. you, 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 you signed up to a new age spiritual cult. You call it in the book, a doomsday cult. Um, I'm sure you didn't think it was a doomsday cult at the time well, that you signed up. Well, they, yeah, it, well, yeah, it, it was, but I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. I, I was just, I was so naive at the time. I, this is what happens when you're vulnerable. I was terribly vulnerable, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, because of everything that had happened in my life and 
So when you become vulnerable, you become open. You just accept whatever people tell you yeah. because you are yearning for that healing and you're yearning for that, that, that redemption from all of that pain and grief that you went, that I went through. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you are in that position, you just say, Oh, here's my savior. Uh, here, the cult leader is going to save me. And I don't identify the cult leader either by male or female. And I don't identify by name. It's not, that's not important. But what I was seeking along with the other cult mates, because I saw the same thing in them. They were hurting. They had terrible lives. Some of them were worse than mine. Yeah. And I go, oh, God, I thought I was bad off. So a good majority of those uh, individuals were like me, hurting and in pain and with unresolved issues. And here we're looking for this, this savior who is going to give us spiritual enlightenment and suddenly we're going to be well. Well, didn't quite happen that way, did it? So how did you find out about it, uh, uh, you know, this, this, this new age? Because it's, it's interesting because I get a lot of comments, especially when I interviewed uh, Howard Storm from religious people telling me that my new age beliefs are sort of demonic. <laughs> And there's a whole lot of conversations on the comments that of people, I used to be in the new age and I, you know, experienced these terrible things, but new age, religion, what, whatever. I mean, like we can have both good and bad experiences in whatever we believe, whether we're, you know, a Hindus or Buddhists or, or Jewish people or Christians or atheists or new age. I mean, you know, humans love to label things and separate things yes. we can yes. have but so it was a new age spiritual so it wasn't religious like it, well it was kind of religious wasn't it the cult is it still going oh. <clears throat> i believe it it's uh disintegrated the cult leader uh, is dead and uh, there was a prediction that the world was going to come to an end i think in the early 90s and uh, so when that didn't happen i said oh no it's going to be postponed now for another three months and that kept post the postponements kept coming and so people left so um, no this isn't what we signed up for and my it's my understanding the organization has since uh, so but you don't want to name it even though it's not i don't want to name it no it why give it energy we because what we're talking about here is the phenomena of belief and we're talking specifically uh, how powerful belief is mm. and how powerful paradigms are. Mm. Paradigms are mental models. And if you hang on to a paradigm that is going to uh, supposedly give you liberation and freedom and uh, give you spiritual awakening, well, I, you're not going to let go of that paradigm. You're going to hang on to it. And if you hang on to it too much and you don't have any flexibility in your paradigms, you're going to get stuck. That's what I have. That's what happened to me. I got stuck. You got stuck. Well, you're, you're skipping ahead because I've got a whole, like I want to discuss paradigms because I love what you go into in the book, you know, what is a paradigm and, and how you talk about it in the book. But I, I kind of, that's a bit further down the track. Let's get through the story yeah. first. Okay. <laughs> I want to kind of tell your story in brief in chronological order. So okay. how many years were you in the um, new age cult? As a, I, as a student, I was, uh, it was two years, and then I went in to, I actually was uh, working in the cult itself for another 
year and a half. So we're talking about three and a half years. I think that your escape from the cult was quite clever because this was the sort of place that if you leave, they stop you from leaving. It's kind of really, it was kind of like jail. Like they give you the whole lot of, if you leave, you're going to go to hell or whatever. I don't know. What was the thought oh, yes. forms they were giving you about uh, staying and leaving? Like what were they telling you? Well, they were saying, well, if you dare leave, then your karma will be, you'll go through what they call the, uh, the second death. Your soul will die. All right. And so you were held by by fear. You were in jailed in, in a jail of fear and terror. And you and the cosmic beings, they're 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 looking at every same thing, every thought that you have, they know and they are acting on it, and your merits are gonna be determined by how faithful you are not only to us, but to the cult leader. Wow. So when you believe, when you were involved and in, in, enmeshed in that belief system, these were monumental edicts. These were almost uh, death sentences that were issued to you, and they were very real. Yeah. Because, because I was so enmeshed in these belief systems. See, and that's what happens in any belief system that is uh, toxic or that is fear-based. They entrap you with fear well, and guilt. Well, we're all participating in fear-based toxic beliefs. All of yes. us. There's not one human being on earth, well, maybe there's a couple, that aren't participating in toxic fear-based belief systems because our, actually our society is set up that way. And Absolutely. this cult experience that you went through is just an exaggeration of what all of us are kind of bipping along. You know, if I don't get the money, I can't pay the bills, I'll be thrown out of my home and then I'll be homeless and oh, I've got to work in a job that I don't like because I can't survive otherwise. You know, we're kind of running on these fear-based belief systems that we're not free, we can't do what we want. Um, right. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's interesting. It's a hypnotic effect. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really using hypnotic from a real, very real neurophysiological sense, because I do explain that in my book as well. Uh, being an EEG neurotherapist, uh, yeah. they, they use methods that bring down your brainwaves to the theta level. Theta is between four and seven hertz. And they do that through chanting, through drumming, through uh, singing, through repetitive mantra, uh, repeating uh, senseless mantras, for example, that will get you down to that theta state. Theta is the hypnagogic state. That's what hypnotists or hypnotherapists use to go into the subconscious mind. That's the doorway to the subconscious mind. Yeah. So we would chant for hours, and then the cult leader would get up and, and uh, would bring forth all these messages from the cosmic beings, but mixed in with those beautiful, wonderful messages were also messages of, well, the evil spirits are out to get you because you are light bearers, and so on and so forth. So it was this mixture of wonderful, beautiful, uh, alluring uh, descriptions of love, and then all of a sudden, but your, your life's on the line. They got your number. 
And it, it almost made God look like this puny little old man <laughs> in the uh, corner of the universe smelling like pine salt. You know, it's like, wait a minute, there's, something's wrong here. But that's how they operated. And some operate still like that. As you describe it, and, I, and as I look out into the internet, into um, belief systems, whether it be religious or new age or atheist, you know, what, this, this, this I'm doing right and this right and wrong, this play of opposites is just rampant. You know, the cabal are sort of controlling the money system and we're, um, we're the rebels and we're going to save the world against the evil cabal. You know, it's the same story. It's the, right. it's the same story, which is, it's not an empowering story. It feels like I'm on the, I'm on the side of the right, the righteous. Right. But it's the same story that every war that was ever started is about. It's called right and wrong. Yeah. It's not a unified yeah. story. And um, people get so swept up in it so swept up in it in yeah. families you know and it starts in relationships and then family groups and socio groups and then and now like there's you know the evil aliens are going to come and get us it just like it just keeps getting bigger and bigger that's <laughs> you against me yeah. and i'm on the side of the right and you're the wrong yeah it, it's ne it, yeah it's never ending yeah i've heard those narratives as well mm. and um i just choose not to believe that i <laughs> just you know, you could believe whatever you want to believe. Yeah, believe whatever you want to believe. Yeah. And, uh, no one is an authority. And I say that in my book. I say, I'm not an authority. I can, I can express uh, my opinions, and I can also tell you what my experiences have been, but I'm not an authority. But I've, I've had some experiences that might be useful for you, and it might help you if you're involved in some form of a belief system that is painful to you to get out of it. Yeah. And I offer some, some methods, some ways to do that. Mm. So, okay, well, let's get back to your story. So you're in this okay. evil cult. I have to say, it's in the first part of the book, you go into this experience, which I found really hard to um, read, uh, having never been in that sort of situation. But the, um, I found that hard to read. Uh, and, but then it kind of gets better. Because <laughs> oh, <laughs> there's like, there's so much, I don't know, there's so much anger about it. There's so much resentment. Um, like, how could this happen? How could they do this to me? You know, and, and just so much anger around the whole situation of being in the cult. But your escape was clever. Do you want to talk about how you escaped? <laughs> oh, my darling grandmother came to my rescue. And uh, she was still alive. And um, I just woke up one morning and I had this brilliant idea that uh, my grandmother w had a lot of money. Um, huh. Well, no, she, she didn't, she didn't. But according to me and in my story, she was a, she was a multimillionaire yeah. and she was getting up there in age. So I told the uh, people and the lieutenants of the cult leader, you know, my grandmother is not well and she's uh, about ready to, to, to die soon. And she wants to distribute her money before she goes, but we need to be all present there to get it because she has some things that she wants to tell us. So wouldn't you believe, oh, 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 well, 
what you do you need to go down to Mexico? I said, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't get my inheritance. And we're talking tens of millions of dollars here. And their eyes got as big as saucers. And <laughs> so they said, oh, well, yeah, you need to get down there. You, we need to get down there right away. Um, and so that's how I was able to escape. And I said, uh, oh, and they said, uh, you know, just take your time, check back with us. Oh, and call us collect. Uh, call us collect and let us know uh, how it's going and, and uh, re, you know, re, reverse the charges and, and, and keep us appraised. And uh, you're doing a wonderful job. We're just so proud of you. Boy, was I on to them. After that, I go, I've got your number. <laughs> Do I have your number? See, and this is what happened. Thousands of dollars were spent by going to their to, to be a part of that cult and to be a part of the elite. They, they took my, re, my money, they, they used my resources. So when I used that uh, as my means of escape, it worked beautifully because <laughs> I played right into them. Throw money I, in their face. <laughs> yeah, and they go, oh yeah, yeah, you really do need to go. Absolutely. Oh, that's and, brilliant. So when yeah. you did escape, Michael, did they come after you? Like, did they try and get you back? You know, what's really interesting is that they didn't. But then recently I found out that, and my dad never told me this because he has since uh, transitioned. But uh, uh, my brother-in-law said that, well, you know, they came looking for you in the 80s. I said, what? Yes, they came, they came to knock on your dad's door and your dad let him in. He did what? And, uh, and he, of course my dad was, even though he was an alcoholic, he was a good man. He was charming. He, he could just charm, charm the pants off you. And he was just, just charmed them, said, you know, come in, uh, do, would you like something to eat? Fed them and, and uh, so finally the question came around, well, where, do you know where Michael is? Do you know where Mike disappeared to? And my dad, brilliant, I have to give him credit. He said, no, you know what? I haven't seen him anything. But if you find him, will you please let me know? <laughs> and their faces just dropped like, darn it, we, we didn't get him. And so they left. Right. And didn't hear from them after that. Okay. And I was, I was here in the States. I wasn't in Mexico then. But my dad, I said, why? I asked my brother and I said, well, why didn't my, did my dad tell me? He says, he didn't want to scare you. I said, right. well, that was wise of him. Yeah, dad, that was, was wise of him. My dad, my dad was a loving, caring person. He really was deep down. He was just, meant, he was ill. He was ill and he had a disease. But he had, he did have a heart. He had a big heart. And I, and I love him for that. Um, and did you catch up with your mother after she left you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Right. We would have uh, intermediate visits, uh, let's say once or twice a year or every other year. Because my father told my mother, for every lawyer that you have to try to take these kids away from me, I'll have five to year one. So I... my, my mother was, uh, she couldn't do anything. Yeah. So she left states and she had to come down to Mexico to visit us 
And uh, when I was uh, in school, then I would visit her when I was in, in mm. state. Oh, when you're at college in the US. Yeah, right. So what happened after the cult? You went, did you go back? You went down to Mexico. I have to say the chapter in the book about your grandmother and her antics is delightful. I absolutely loved that. Uh, we won't go into it. People can read about your oh, grandmother. Right. You, you go into quite extensively. At one point, you're sort of talking so much about your grandmother. I'm thinking, what happened to the story? We're talking about, but it is delightful. It is absolutely delightful. She was a character. What a character. She was. But see, that was important because that was, those, those memories were like islands. Uh, they were on the, the oasis in the desert, let's put it that right, way. Right, yeah. Or the islands in a very tumultuous sea. And I, I lingered on those. I held on to those memories. And those memories gave me power. And they gave me strength to continue and, and gave me the strength to want to see her again, to be with her again. So that's how I survived. If I right. didn't have those stories, I wouldn't have been able to survive. Right. Okay. So you held on to the memories of her antics in the, yes. when you were going through your hard times in the cult. So where did you go afterwards? You go down to Mexico and where did you go? Uh, afterwards? I, went, I went to, I came to Texas and I uh, got a job. And um, I just uh, developed my uh, professional life from there on and became uh, a trainer internationally. And uh, worked, I worked for the U.S. Department of Education and uh, working for uh, substance abuse prevention in schools. And um, then, I continued, then after that, I went back into corrections because I, I had been working in corrections before I joined the, uh, the cult in a juvenile setting. And um, it was in 2012 that I had that life-changing experience that I write, read, I write about in the book. And you know, it's really interesting, Karn. I I, was, I thought if I write this, they're not going to believe me. They're they're going to think I'm crazy. Well, they're gonna think I've lost it. Go ahead. I think that's the best part of the book. It was too short for me. I would have liked the whole book to have been that, really. I just, I actually took that chapter out and just separated it because I thought, I want to read that again. So do you want to tell us about your experience? So you've worked many years as a, as a you know, a, a psychologist, a clinical, a clinician, a, a teacher, a trainer. And, and then you start, you have this experience and you start thinking about more sort of uh, afterlife things. What, tell us well, what happened. It came, I came to the point where I could feel, I, I, could, I could feel my guides, I could feel guidance. Uh, let's not say succinctly guides, but at that time I felt I'm being guided. I'm, there's more information I need here. I need to find out what this is all about. Why did I experience everything that I experienced? Yeah. There had to be a purpose to it. Yeah. So one morning, and it was in 2012, I, it, I went into an altered state of consciousness. I had not awakened yet from my sleep, but I went into an altered, deep, incredible, full dimensional 3D, tech, full technicolor, whatever you want to call it, IMAX experience of coming face, first of all, feeling embraced by a peace and when i 
say that the peace, the phrase, the peace that passes all understanding came into my consciousness and I go, this is what the peace that passes all understanding is about. Now I understand it. And then I felt this overwhelming love and in front of me was this, this person that had, that radiated this love and had blue violet eyes and, and he started to talk to me. And, I, and it's like, I know you. I, I said to myself, I know you. I know, I know I've been with you. And, and I don't write this in the book, but he telepaths, he says, yes, you know me and I know you. We've been together many, 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 many centuries. What are you doing for your life? What are you going to do now that is going to help you? And this, this information I got from a medium afterwards, because actually I didn't remember, I didn't have the foresight to write down what he told me. But through several mediums, this is what, what, what transpired. And what he told me was that you went through everything that you went through for a purpose and for a reason. And you had, you chose, and I, I remember those, I remember that very distinctly. You chose, you chose those experiences because those were part of a plan. And now those plans are leading you to the next phase in your life. And I just, I was so overwhelmed by this love and this uh, feeling of, of complete peace. He said, Michael, I want you to look over to your right. And I looked over to my right, and there was this man standing there with, remember, dark rimmed glasses. He was about 6'2. He says, I want you to go over there and I want you to take his hands. And I said, I hesitated. Well, why would I want to take this man's hands? I mean, he said, Michael, take his hands. So I got closer and I took his hands and I smelled alcohol coming off of his breath. And then I could hear this master uh, or this guide tell me, heal him, heal yourself, and heal everybody who comes near you or, in, or within your sphere of influence. And that was the end of it. And when it was over, I was paralyzed. I could not move. I was just like in my bed and with my eyes still closed. And I was just basking in this energy that felt like a paralysis, but I didn't want it to end. And it was so beautiful that I go, I, this really happened. Uh, and I just, I pinched myself on. I was able to move and I pinched myself. I said, yes, I guess this did happen. And sure enough, I remember every detail as if it happened last night. Every single detail. I remember his face. I remember what, what he was wearing. He had a tunic on, or I just saw the, the top of his, of his chest. I remember the details of his hair. Uh, and those eyes, those eyes were so penetrating that I, I just can't even, they were undescribable. I can't describe it. I can't put it into words. Beautiful. It's almost like what the near-death experiencers yeah. experience. And yeah. they, they say, I can remember everything, but yeah. I can't describe to you the magnificence. I know, because it's a felt, it's hard to describe a felt experience. Um, so that happened about seven years ago. Right. 
so what I'm getting is that, you know, growing up in the sort of Catholic religion and feeling confined by those belief systems, you were seeking something else. So you went into another spiritual new age thing and you felt confined by that. So it's like your whole life was seeking for some answers. And then you went into sort of more um, science-based, you know, um, healing and forget religion, forget new age, forget any sort of spiritual beings. I'm not going to go at any of that stuff. That's all crap. So you sort of worked for many years in sort of clinical studies and like a doctor, you know, like a psychologist. And then this experience happens to you, (laughs) sort of brings you back to this like, it's like these uh, spiritual beings are like, oh my God, there are spiritual beings. <laughs> guess what? Guess, guess what? Um, but it was nowhere even near uh, what I went through and, and, and the cult. I mean, that had nothing to do with the cult. I mean, it, it, the, the, the love was palpable. It was just the peace and love was palpable. Yeah. And you know what? One, one thing really interesting, Karen, is that of all the people who have read my book, no one has even dared to, to discuss that. I'm sure that they're thinking- That's my favorite part. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure they were thinking, poor thing, he just had a dream. <laughs> no, that was, what, as I said, I took that chapter out and I'm like, oh, I need to read that again. I loved it. It was beautiful. Yeah, I guess, you know, as you know, you watch my shows. That's what we talk about on the show, those yeah, experiences. Yeah. It's like- yes. Life it can be punctuated with those experiences. That's not our our long term experience. They're just these little punctuation points. You know, we have these these connections with our divinity, with our source, with our broader perspective, like whatever name you want to give it, with our guides. Right. You know, this right. is what I do with my clients. I try to get them there to sort of have that experience and and to have it more like a normal everyday experience rather than just a one off. Right, exactly. And yes, absolutely. And I think we need to really pay attention to these experiences. And I think the other thing that's really important to mention is that in a lot of religions, you're not supposed to have these kind of things happen to you. You know, this stuff is like, uh, this is, this is only, this only happens to saints, to mystics. All right. So, So who are you to say that you have had this transpersonal experience? What, are you suddenly a saint or a mystic? Oh, and I mean, this, these are the frames of mind that people walk around with because we've been trained to think that way. Yeah. And anybody right. can have a transpersonal experience. Exactly. So what was happening in your life before that happened? Were you sort of speaking to the universe saying, I want more, like, why? Like, what, what were you asking for to bring to bring that experience to you? There must have been questions sort of like desires shooting out of you. Well, first of all, I wanted to be healed. Right. I wanted the PTSD to right. finally collapse. Okay. Which it did. I wanted answers. I, want, I wanted to know why, is this hap- why did this happen to me? Why did I go through all this? I had no clue. No clue whatsoever. I go, what? I know that God is just and loving, but this doesn't make any sense. Right. And it was after the 2012 experience that basically that master or that cosmic being, whoever that was, I'm told he was was one of my guides, my master guide. It started and initiated that redemption, if you want to call it that, that final resolution, I won't say final, but that resolution that finally collapsed 
40 years of intermittent episodes of PTSD. And it was, and I think this is really important because there's a lot of people still seeking and they, we get impatient. We go, well, what's next? What's next? What's next? And everything was laid out for me. I had this book that I read. One was on quantum physics and I needed to read that before I read this other book. And then this other book led to this other book. And I had to watch this YouTube. Then I had to watch Karen Swine because Swine, she said, she has many things that she has to teach you. You have to watch this other YouTube, so on and so forth. And finally, I arrived at two books that just completely did it. And that was Michael Newton's Michael Newton. Journey of Souls and Destiny of Souls. And it was like my soul cried out and said, yes, I finally recognize that this is what, is all, what this is all about. It completely collapsed my intense fear of death because I feared death like you wouldn't believe because we were told when you die, you're surely going to go to purgatory if you're lucky. And uh, if you're lucky. Yeah. You know, you, if you're lucky, you'll go to purgatory. You're lucky, exactly. If not, you know where you're going. And so <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. This, this conditioning that you carry forth as a as child continues because it's programmed into your subconscious mind. Yeah, and you don't have to have it in there. You can get rid of that. Yeah, but, but that information, Michael Newton's information, and he was an atheist. He was a clinical psychologist. I know. I love his story because yeah, people kept coming to him saying, "Can you regress me to my past life?" And he's like, "I don't do that." And they kept, kept coming, "I don't do that. Go away. I don't. I don't buy into all that crap." <laughs> and then he, and then the question I love this about his. You know, he was, he had a patient, I should let you tell the story, but I read his books years ago too. I love, I love his books. In fact, I thought about doing his course because he was still alive back then, but didn't. I just used, I read his books and just started doing it on people. I just started regressing people. I didn't do any course. I just figured I knew how to do it. Right, right. But but that question he asked, like, what's the source of this pain? Somebody was in pain. And he, and he was like going back into his childhood and trying to find the source of the pain. from World War One. Yeah. He from World War One, mm. And he was stabbed in the back. And uh, they couldn't figure out where his pains were coming from. So he said, go to the source of your pain. Mm. He said, oh, I'm, being st- I'm in the trenches of World War One, And my name is, and my, pl- my platoon uh, name or number is this. And I'm stabbed. Uh, and, I, he, and he's actually reliving this experience of being stabbed. Well, Michael Newton said, well, I want you to go and li- relive that experience. And when he did, finally he brought him out of it. And she, uh, the, the following day, the wife of this man called and said, thank you for curing my husband. He said, what are you talking about? Well, he no longer has the pains after you took him through his hypnosis. And he remembers that he had lived that life in World War I. And then Michael Newton had the gumption to contact the war office in, in Britain and look up his name. And sure enough, his name and his platoon uh, was all identified there and it all checked off. Yeah, and where that. he died and mm. where he's buried, actually. So they were the books that really shifted you. Interestingly enough, you talk about the books that you 
read and, and, and everything that you talk about is like, every, I've had them all, except for Michael, I've had them all on the show, Rich Martini and right. <laughs> who else was a, like all of them have been on the show and I'm like, oh, what sounds like a, a list of the guests on my show. <laughs> Garnet Zillauer. Garnet. Oh. Yes. Oh, yes. Who else? I can't think who else. Well, um, I also, the University of uh, Virginia is uh, also the, uh, all the uh, Department of Perceptual Studies. They're doing a lot of research on altered states of consciousness. Also, reports of children. Uh, I think Dr. Jim Tucker, Tucker is head of that department. Doing research on reincarnation, reports of children between one and five who are reporting of having different mommies and daddies, and 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 they, I lived over here and I lived there, and and what they've been doing is actually following up on. The, I mean, these children they don't they don't even know what reincarnation is. They have no concept of any of this. But here they're giving details, and that uh, research is. It's validated. It's been validated. These children have been followed through uh, and they have been verifying the uh, information that they have brought forth and all of it's been checked off. It's, uh, it, it's just amazing. So when I decided to go on this trek, I said, whatever I got, in, get, got into, it had to be evidential. It had to be research-based and it had to be validated statistically or statistically significant and almost everything that i have read i won't i'll just say almost but the most important has been that so well i don't this know is if you evidence. can validate too much of what garnet goes through because garnet rocked my world i mean he he speaks about things i had no idea about him you know have you uh, read all his books like he's out i read all of his books and i can't wait to get a hold of his next one i know and, he's working on number five yes right but <laughs> but i wrote him when because uh, i had uh, finished the uh, michael newton books i wrote him an email i said are you familiar at all with uh, dr michael newton and then he wrote me back surprisingly right away he said no i've heard of him but i've not i haven't read any of his books i said well that's really interesting because the most the information that's coming through in your book is what's verified also in the the tens of thousands of of past life regressions that he has conducted yeah and said oh that's interesting yeah oh he would have liked that okay let's talk about paradigms because i just love how you go into paradigms in the book let's discuss for people that don't understand exactly what a paradigm is i think the description that you write like what is a paradigm paradigm is a mental model and it has borders it has it has limits and within those limits are rules and regulations written within them that help you to understand a concept or help you do something but those rules have to be followed in order for you to have a valid paradigm so when you step some people uh get so fixed on those rules that that become, turns into what's called paradigm paralysis. Paradigm paralysis. I love that. Well, according in the book, I took this little bit out. According to Wills Harmon in the Incomplete Guide to the Future, a paradigm is the basic way of perceiving, thinking, valuing, and doing. Thus, a paradigm is a set of rules and regulations that does two things, establishes and defines boundaries, and 
who tells you how to behave inside those boundaries to be successful. Right. Words that represent subsets of the paradigm concept, theory, model, or methodology, principles, standards, protocols, routines, assumptions, conventions, patterns, habits, common sense. Well, I don't know, is common sense a paradigm? I call my guides common sense. Controversial wisdom or conventional wisdom, mindset, values, frames of reference, traditions, customs, prejudice, ideology, inhibitions, superstitions, ritual, compulsions, addictions, doctrine, dogma, cults, and cultism. Ooh, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. You know, I first, a friend of mine was going through some therapy many years ago, and um, she said, I, you know, I was talking to my psychologist and I had a paradigm shift. And that was the first time I'd heard the word paradigm. I said, what's a paradigm shift? And she said, well, I used to believe something. And then that was, you know, what I believed how life is. And then I saw it in a completely different way. And I didn't, didn't believe that anymore. And so I kind of had a shift out of that paradigm. And I was like, oh, you know, like she was educating yeah. me to and, giving and me some it, words of what I was experiencing. Yeah, exactly. And that's where thinking outside the box comes from. Yeah. <laughs> thinking outside the paradigm. Because when you, when you shift a paradigm, you're thinking outside of that traditional box that you've always believed to be true. And, but suddenly you go, wait a minute. No, I have new evidence to believe that that's not the complete truth. And so that's where you start thinking differently. And, that only happens if you have paradigm flexibility. <laughs> paradigm, I love these words. Paradigm paralysis and paradigm flexibility. So all of us are living inside of some sort of paradigm. We have to in order to have a human experience, right? We all have exactly. to um, subscribe to a certain paradigm, whatever paradigm that is. Right. And, um, you know, like normal, the norms of paradigms is that, uh, you know, like we get married and we stay with that person for the rest of our lives and we love only one person. And, and if we don't, we're failed, you know, like right. that's a paradigm that um, so many young people are kind of not buying into. I think that in the sixties, like free love, like love whoever you want. <laughs> We're sort of like breaking those paradigms of like right. monogamy, like that's a paradigm. Right. So, um, yeah, I, you've got quotes all through the book and I've written a few down. There is nothing good, either good nor bad, but thinking makes it so, William Shakespeare. The world is nothing but my perception of it. I see only through myself. I hear only through the filter of my story. Byron Katie. I love Byron. I cry when I think of Byron. And um, yeah, you've got all sorts of great quotes. Uh, Behaviour. Beliefs have the power to create and the power to destroy. Human beings have an awesome ability to take any experience of their lives and to create a meaning that disempowers them or one that can literally save their lives. Tony Robbins. So I have to say that many people write to me and say they've had paradigm shifts watching the show. I love that. <laughs> well, yes, I mean, because... It opens their viewpoint to a different perspective. Yeah. And, and what's unfortunate is there's so many people that are stuck. And, and they're just, stuckness is what gets you into trouble. It's what got me into trouble. I was stuck. 
I was stuck in my way of this is the only way to think. This is the only way to behave. And that's, that's just not, that's not the way the universe works. The universe is constantly flexing. It's constantly flexing into new dimensions because it's never ending. The universe is continually growing and evolving. Perhaps expanding and breaking paradigms, paradigm flexibility, creating new paradigms and then breaking those and creating new, constantly expanding, expanding our points of view, our frame of reference, our, all those words that I said before, our ideologies, our rituals, our assumptions, our conventions. Yeah, expanding and shifting and changing. Yeah, one of the yeah. things I think you wrote, one of the quotes was, the only constant is change. Right. Yeah, yes. and, and that that is true. I mean, because that is that is uh, I, as far as I'm concerned, that's the whole universe wrapped up right there. Change, expansion, and change. So, Mike, what do you think is the major paradigm that we're kind of busting out of on a collective scale at the moment? It's change. We we are realizing that we're not just in this little box, that we're not just in this little reality. <clears throat> it's uh, transparency and it's, it's divulging truth. It's divulging reality, but not this reality that we think we are in, but this reality that's coming from source. And source is pure unconditional love. And pure unconditional love is everything that ties the universe together it's it is the cement of the universe and i and we have to understand that source is within us we are parts of source we are sparks of 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 all that is and i think when we lose track of that then it's easier for us to get stuck and just have one point of view and we have to realize that we are divine beings and uh, just like a cat, he's <laughs> he's got part of source in him. As he's well. trying to drink my water. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So the princes, the principle of oneness. Uh, I hear you saying, rather than separateness. I think that the paradigm that we've lived into for I don't know eons of time is this idea that we're separate from each other and separate from the divine and separate from mother nature and separate from the cat you know like that we're separate that we're right we're individuals and so the paradigm that's busting open wide open is that we're all connected energetically yes. you know the energy healers are talking about it energetically and the psychologists are talking saying mentally and the i don't know everyone's talking about it with a different language but yeah and the, and, and we're also connected to nature we're mm. connected with gaia gaia is part of our nature and if we don't start paying attention to Gaia, to Mother Nature, um, I mean, she's a powerful, sentient being, and she is the spirit of this earth, and she is a mother, and she's part of, a, of creation, she's part of source as well. This is why this revolution of nature and, and saving the environment is so important, because it's saving our spirituality as well. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. You know, when you really start to live the oneness principle, not just chew it over mentally, but really live it, 
as you said, that, um, you know, evidence of the afterlife or that spiritual being coming, like sort of busted you out of that PTSD. The oneness principle busts us out of this war concept that we're also uh, seduced by. And the war is I'm on the side of the right or the light and you're on the side of the, the wrong or the evil whether it's coming from a new age perspective, a religious perspective, a political perspective, or, you know, if we're all one, then there is no sides, right? There's no, no like no, you're wrong no. and I'm right. There's only, there's just you experiencing life. You are me experiencing life from a different perspective, but exactly. you are me. Yeah, exactly. And if I may add to that, Karen is, Belief systems that are in tune with that are inclusive. Inclusive. As yeah. opposed to being exclusive. Inclusive. Belief systems that are based on love and uh, understanding and compassion include people. They include groups. There is no pigment, pigmentation that differentiated, differentiates a race because there are no races. There's only one race, human race. And we are all part of that human race. Mm -hmm. But when a belief system is based in fear, it excludes, it condemns, it ostracizes. Yeah. And, and that doesn't conform to the law of inclusivity that is the universe. Yeah. That is the oneness of the universe. The oneness principle. I mean, this, is, this, is quantum, this is quantum physics. It's quantum physics. Is it a paradigm? Well, you know, there are paradigms within paradigms within paradigms. <laughs> I, 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 I want to tell you something. I was at a book launch the other night and we went out for dinner and there's a beautiful group of the most amazing spiritual people. You know, it was just delicious to have dinner with these people. There's this young girl opposite me uh, speaking about her seeking experience and her awakening experience and she was just delicious. And she started to say, once I realised that there's no right and wrong, that everything that happens to us is just an experience. She started to launch into this, this understanding that she'd come to, right, this like, aha moment. And then the man next to her, who was an older man who'd been in the spiritual community for many years, and I'm not saying he's not wonderful, but he just jumped on top of her and said, oh, no, there is definitely right and wrong. There is definitely dark and evil. I've seen some evil spirits. And he started to come at her with his, like, Right. you know like fear-based like there is there is evil in this world and you've got to look out for it and neither of them are right or wrong right they're just it's right. just a right. perspective yeah. but it, he just sort of shut her down and then she sort of retreated back and because he was older and he knew more and um and i thought you know i like her perspective better because as she speaks about it she sort of like comes out like this expansion just on her face. Like it's just all experience. It's just, we're just choosing experiences and you know, there's no right or wrong or good or bad. It's all experience. Uh, yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's really a matter of perspective. What is good for one person will be totally evil for another person. So it's all relative, isn't it? it and we're speaking of relativity here in, in the sense that, well, you know, Everybody has a different perspective, so therefore it's either good or bad for either way. You go, either way you want to look at it, it's going to be good or bad. Whereas if you see the whole picture and right. you see that we are all part of this tapestry 
of interconnectedness and uh, love and wisdom and beingness, uh, then you have a, you can't help but shift your, your paradigms. Yeah. Well, your life is a testament to that because you went through hell on earth. You know, you've had some really bad experiences. And yet, had you not had those experiences, it wouldn't have led you down a path right. of being a seeker and a healer and exploring. I mean, you wouldn't have the expertise that you have today had you not had those experiences. So were they bad, right. evil experiences? Yeah, maybe. But were, did it have a good outcome? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I learned, I learned through the afterlife research that I planned this life. Exactly. And I planned it exactly in coordination with, with my guidance on the other side. And um, there was a reason. That fell into place. Now I understand. I, and well, I'm going to have a life review too. Uh, when, I, when I transition, I'm going to have a life review. I'm going to see all the good things that I did. And I'm also going to see the things that I fell short of and how I affected the lives of other people. I'm going to feel their pain. That's kind of scary, but I, that's part of our process too. So nobody judges us in the afterlife. We judge ourselves. And we don't judge, we, we evaluate, we, 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 we identify our growth challenges and so that we can plan the next set of lessons for the next time around. Hopefully there won't be a next time around, but, but why not? Well, then why not? Yeah. And you know, there, there's other, there's uh, one of the growth challenges that I've had, and I think I've mentioned this in my book, is forgiveness it took everything that I could to forgive my father and to, to forgive the cult leader I mean because I was so angry and I think that's what you picked up in that in the beginning of the book. yeah the anger it's like yeah but then I said if I don't forgive I'm gonna be tied like a ball and chain to these to these souls and I had to then interject compassion and compassion meant that I had to really understand why they may have acted the way that they did. And once I started to, to decipher all the reasons why they may have been acting the way that they did, I was able to forgive them. And, mm -hmm. I, felt, and I felt the forgiveness coming from my heart. I understand you now, and I understand where you were coming from. I forgive you. It's interesting that you say that you needed to understand in order to forgive that you couldn't just forgive because it feels good to forgive. It needed to be a logical process. It needed, you know, the cogs had to turn. There had to be understanding. Yeah. Look, I operate like that. It's like through my understanding, yeah, that I can have mystical experiences. It's like once I, like once it makes sense to me, like <laughs> common sense, once it's logical, I go, oh, that makes sense, of course. And so I have these understandings that seem completely crazy to the mainstream world you know aliens and all this sort of stuff um but it's really logical to me it kind of totally makes sense to me all of it and uh so i i yeah so i kind of get that i don't have this blind faith as as some people do i i, I believe just because i'm told to believe it's like right. it has to go to come through my understanding right right uh, exactly now, what's this other quote? The day science begins to study non-physical phenomena, it will make more progress in one decade than it in all the previous centuries of its existence. Nikola Tesla. 
that's one of the quotes in your book as well. Yes. And I think uh, a lot of that's already happening. Uh, for example, all the EVPs mm -hmm. that are being studied. Uh, uh, Sonia Rinaldi from Brazil, mm -hmm. uh, who has been 40 years uh, doing research, bringing actually voice from transdimensionally. And, and this is very scientific. And now she's bringing forth pictures uh, and through her computer and through a very intricate uh, way of, of, of bringing this information. She's been uh, working a lot with uh, Sandra Champlain and, uh, uh, and also the uh, afterlife research conferences. I saw her at the ARE in, in, in Phoenix in, uh, last year. And it was just amazing, especially these mothers who have lost these teenage kids who are grieving so much. And she did an experiment where she had 30 of these parents. And so she sent out the intention that, they, that these children would come through on their, their pictures. Then the parents would send in the picture of the child. And they had each one of those parents stand up as the picture of their child came through and compared the real picture with the one that came up in the, uh, on the computer. I mean, it was just, it just blew me away. Well, now that's a paradigm that I feel we're busting out of collectively in the Western world, probably not so much in the Eastern world, but is there life after death? When I was having a chat to my mob, about like what am I supposed to do in this world and how do I help and what creates the most pain in this world and how can I address that? They said death. They said write about what you know and I'd had people dropping, you know, dropping dead, falling off the log. <laughs> like, you know, all my life I'd, I was well versed in death. <laughs> he said write about what you know and address that and I said, well, I know about death. Uh, and, yeah, so to me, Mike, the grief around death, it's like when you understand that this life experience is a temporary adventure that our right. soul is on and it's like a blip in the universe right. and that we return home and do it all over again, either here or elsewhere. And where we return to is this place of unimaginable, unbounded expansion and beauty and bliss. And beauty, yes. Why would we ever be sad when someone transitions? See, this is a paradigm that I look out into the world and I see has us gripped, gripped in grief. Yes. Yes. And even the most enlightened, well-meaning people still go into the sadness around the transition of somebody. I'm so right. sorry for you. Oh, it's so terrible. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, this is terrible that your mother died. Or you see, and I feel like it's a paradigm that we need to shake ourselves out of. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, how beautiful. She's gone home. How lucky for her. You'll be joining her soon. You know, it might be in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, but we'll be there soon. We'll be together again. So why be sad about that? Exactly. Like, let's celebrate their life and, and just be joyous for them that they've gone home. We'll meet them there soon. Like right. stop with the sadness. This is me. This is like what I see. It's like this paradigm gripped with grief. Yeah. Yeah. And when I lost my stepmom, who really uh, raised me, I, I was so close to her and she called the day that she was going to die because she knew she was going to die that day. She called everybody and said, would you please forgive me for, for, for anything that I may have done wrong? I said, what are you talking about? It's me. I, I, you got to forgive me for, 
for many things. And I, I just broke down. I mean, I, I couldn't even continue the conversation. And she says, I love you and I'll always be with you. And, you know, I, I grieved when she died. But then I go, well, she hasn't died. She's, she's still here. Yeah. And now I feel closer to her than I was when uh, she lived down in Mexico and I lived up in the States. I mean, I feel her presence. I, and as I develop more of my sensitivities, I can actually kind of get uh, an idea of what she's, what she's telling me, what she's, what she's trying to get across to me. Oh, look, absolutely. Like that, this is, again, the crux of what I do with um, you know, my private clients is getting them connected to their guides or getting them connected to that frequency that we yeah. return to that, that, you know, raise your vibe, like break out of a few paradigms um, and raise your vibe so that you can reconnect with your, either your guides or your loved ones who live in that frequency, that vibrational yeah. resonance, you know, like resonate right. with where they are and then you can talk to them. You can see them. You can chat with them. Even in your astral body, you can go, some people say, yeah, but I can't hug them again. And I'm like, yeah, you can. Like my yes, best friend can. who killed herself. I had an experience of being in my astral. I, you know, my body was asleep, but I was in my of hugging her and saying to her, like, you're solid. Like, I can feel you. Like, you know, I can hug you. And so I'm thinking, yeah, you can still hug them and feel the yeah. solidity of their body if you want to. Absolutely. Yeah, all things are possible. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You bet. And this is the paradigm shift that we all need to go through. Right. And there are going to be people that, that are not ready for it, and that's okay. But you, many are ready for it. You'd be surprised how many people are ready. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. And this is the, you know, I met Sandra Champlain right at the beginning of uh, her journey. And she said to me, you know, she's working as a caterer and, and she's sort of put the book out. She's even done her little documentary at this point, but she right. was at the beginning of her podcasting. And she said, you know, Karen, a psychic said to me that I'm going to be really well known for this. And I, I looked into her future and I said, yeah, you totally are. And now that's happening. Like she, her yeah. notoriety is growing and growing and growing. And what she's doing inside the whole afterlife exploration thing, you know, she's now putting on conferences and like, right, she's yeah. like, she's really doing great work inside breaking that paradigm. Right. That, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yes. You bet. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I think things are happening so fast and that it's almost hard to catch up with everything that's <laughs> happening. I mean, really, yeah. it, it's just like, oh, this happened. Oh, wow. I, I didn't hear about it. And, and it's just like all these spiritual teachers are just like, now it's safe to come out. I'm yeah, coming out. Safe. They're safe. taking more risks and they're being more, uh, they're being bolder about the messages that they want to get across. And this is wonderful. This is a revolution. Yeah. This is an afterlife resolution, uh, revolution. An afterlife revolution. Well, it is in the West. You know, I think people in the East have more of an understanding of life after death. And uh, it's sort of Eastern religion and philosophy embraces it so much more than the Western sort of clinical mind that um, right. nothing, you know, like my dad was like, what do you think when you know? Well, nothing, you know, we just die and that's it. and We don't go on. And I thought to myself, that's such a sad way to believe, you know, to think that you cease to exist. No wonder you fear death. If you yeah, really believe oh, that yeah. that's the end of you, 
like right yeah exactly exactly you know so i think there's so this is really exciting times but also trying times because we're going through lots of changes yeah on every level and um we have to keep centered and we have to get in touch with our inner our inner being our inner self which is uh, that spark of source and to do that you know, we have to get quiet and we have to learn to meditate and to i'm a meditator some people are really if they find it hard to meditate but once you get into the habit of sitting and getting quiet it becomes easier and easier because finally the conscious mind just gives up says okay if you're not going to talk to me then all right just go do your thing <laughs> like do a two-year-old <laughs> you won't talk to me so go ahead and do whatever you want to do <laughs> if you're going to ignore me then I'll, okay i'll go away so um where is your work where are you taking your work now mike well i'm i'm continuing i'm retired now but i'm continuing to uh write also, I'm now uh, just named onto the board of the Santa Fe Institute of Mediumship and Spiritual Studies. And uh, we're going to be doing a lot of outreach uh, work, especially with professionals and with at-risk at youth who are having these spiritual emergencies and don't know what they are. Okay. And they are then diagnosed uh, with psychotic uh, traits or uh, uh, or psychotic uh, features, which in fact, that's not what's going on. They're just having spiritual emergencies. So we're, we're going to work with a lot of that population and also the professionals that work with them. So um, that's, uh, I think, a really exciting project that I'm currently involved with. And, uh, and we're, we're going to be going places, I know. So, uh, so what do you think is a spiritual emergency? Like I, I describe it in my book when, under neuro, uh, when I talk about the neurophysiology of beliefs. And the, a spiritual emergency is when you, don't, you have all these transpersonal experiences, like you have visions and you what seem to be hallucinations, but actually they are actually spiritual experiences, and you can't decipher them. You don't know what's going on. And then because you don't have previous information, you think, well, I'm losing my mind, or I'm, 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 there's something wrong with me. Uh, maybe I need to go see a psychiatrist. When, when in fact, that's not what's going on. They, they really just need to go through training or orientation to train themselves to know how to manage those altered states of consciousness. Their psychic abilities. Yeah. Look, we're, Joe Figliano, who puts, who I've had on the show has an amazing experience of healing himself. Uh, if you want to watch people watching want to watch his show, he puts on love festivals, love fest, which I've been involved in here in Sydney. He's putting on one in up the road for me soon because there's just this, um, the people of the community have been talking about how these young men, specifically young men are committing suicide. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and they want to address that. They're kind of coming at it from a more mainstream psychological way, not a spiritual way, which is, unfortunate but that's the yeah. level of their understanding but you know these young men committing suicide are just these sensitives that come into this dense environment and they can't cope with the density of like all these negative thoughts and yeah exactly. they probably have spiritual experiences that no one's explaining to them exactly and yeah. if we could just save them 
or prevent them from taking their lives, then eventually they'll catch on spiritually what's going on. Mm -hmm. So I think prevention here is really important. Yeah. And a lot of these kids are doing alcohol and drugs and they're ODing on, on drugs and alcohol because they can't cope. They, they they're can't just trying cope. to dumb down their sensitivity. You know, like, exactly. like if, if I just try and not feel, you know, I have a best friend that was a heroin addict for 35 years and, and I started to counsel her and we got her off the drugs and she said, are you surprised that I believe in all this stuff that you believe in? And I said, not at all. The reason that you're a heroin addict is because you're so psychic and sensitive and you just could not deal with it and nobody told you how to deal with it. Exactly. And so she just numbed herself. She just numbed out of life. Like I just can't do life, so I'm just going to check out. I'm going to be in the physical body because interesting her paradigm is that suicide's a sin, so I won't kill myself. I'll just try and kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> at, least, at least that paradigm works. <laughs> Save some lives. I, mean, I don't agree with it, but at least if it saves a life, you know, more power to it. But you're yeah. right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And so there needs to be a bridge of understanding so that these individuals that are very sensitive can understand and realize they have gifts. They have God-given yeah. gifts. Yeah. And they can nourish these gifts and and be a channel of love and understanding for so many people i mean these are light bearers yeah. that are coming into this yeah i guess the third wave or the fourth wave that uh, yeah you watch Susie's show <laughs> right and so where do you uh, think you fit in in the waves oh god i must have been the wave before the first wave um <laughs> the dinosaur wave <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, is it important to know which wave I came in nah, on? No, I don't think so. It's not important. It just had. It just helps people understand, you know, like what's happening, why they're here. But listen, let me ask you: Have you ever had another experience like your 2012 experience with your spirit guide? Yes, yes, I have. When did yes, that happen? And how many times did that happen? <laughs> Boy, this is coming into. This is quite an inter interrogation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You're on my show, honey. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Maybe I should start my own show. Um, uh, a thought. Well, I, I recently had a life between life experience, mm -hmm. uh, a four hour LBL, life between lives. And um, what it was very interesting. It was a Michael Newton trained uh, therapist. Mm -hmm. And what was really interesting about it, most people who have an LBL, they, they go into an altered state of consciousness where they see everything, they experience things, they have a, they're totally transformative. And what was really interesting, this was more of an energetic life between lives. I felt healing going through my body. I was, because when you leave incarnation, you go through healing, you go through, yeah. uh, chambers of healing through light. You and, shake off uh, those paradigms. You <laughs> shake them all off. You shake them all off. You and, shake off uh, those belief systems. I don't right. use them anymore. And I, at first, before I went into it, I had a wish list. I said, well, this is my wish list. I want to see these, these family members, mm -hmm. but I don't want to see these three people. <laughs> so you can imagine what these three people were. So um, one of them was the cult leader. 
Now that's being very and exclusive I, and not inclusive, not very well, oneness principle. You know, I just didn't know if I could handle seeing her, seeing him or her come into full view because I couldn't, I don't know if I could have handled it, you know. Um, and my therapist says, I understand, but leave it up to your guides. They, they will decide. Absolutely. So sure enough, I was not allowed to see anybody, but I felt my guide. I could see my guide, but he was kind of like, you know, like kind of like black and white, but very strong, energetic presence. And then he says, now I know I'm aware of your wish list, but there is something I want you to be, I want you to go through. Are you willing to go through it? I said, if you think I'm, it's in my highest and best interest, yes, let's, let's do it. So I felt about 15, 20 yards away behind this obscure mist came the voice of the cult leader. And the cult leader says, please forgive me. And I, I didn't hear the voice of the cult leader because that would have traumatized me. I know it would have triggered me. At least I think it would. It may not, but may not. Uh, it was kind of masked. So telepathically, I could hear the cult leader say, forgive me. I was wrong. My ego got in the way. I was not well. Will you please allow me to heal you? And I looked at my guide and he shook his head yes. And I said yes. And I could feel these black daggers coming out of my etheric body. They're just flying out. And I go, oh my God. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, is this really going on? I mean, and then the cult leader started to cry and said, thank you for allowing me to heal you. And disappeared. When was that? How long ago? Uh, it was last week. Oh my God, that was last week. Oh, darling. Oh. Uh, then, but I mean, then after that, what was really transformational was uh, my guide said, well, I'm going to take you through what it feels like when you come out of uh, an incarnation. So he took me into this other dimension. There was, I mean, just light. It was just, all, all of this is going on in my head and I'm like in this, huge room of light and he he says i want you to get close to there was a, like a ball of energy there he said this is the energy of your soul that you've left behind in spirit so i want you to come and experience what you experience when you come back from incarnation right so we approached both of he took my hand and we both approached these this ball of light and I went into it and I became a giant. I grew and my guide, he went up with me and I was like this huge giant. And he said, and it was very clear, be aware of the magnificence of your soul because you are much more than what you ever even can conceive of being. Absolutely. Your soul is magnificent. And you have no idea how much love and energy of peace and understanding is encapsulated within your soul because you are part of source. Absolutely. And then he said, mm -hmm. just remember that when things go rough, 
remember how magnificent you are. And it was just, I was just like, oh my God. And then, of course, being as funny as he is, he says, okay, show's over. <laughs> and I told the therapist, he's saying, the show's over. Oh, okay. So he took me out of the, <laughs> out of the hypnosis. And, and we processed it for a half an hour afterwards. And she said, I had basically the same type of LBL. And he, telepath to me, says, if you had the experience of the full experience of the afterlife and experience the love and the peace and the understanding you would get if i took you back and you would and you have to get in your car and deal with your traffic and deal with all the mundane things that you have to do you wouldn't be able to handle it you'd get very depressed and i don't want you to be depressed i can't afford to have you be depressed yeah which a lot and, of NDEs talk about. You know, the yeah. experience was sublime and blissful and life-changing and paradigm-shifting. Exactly. But dealing with the density of third, para, you know, 3D life is shocking after having that experience, yeah. It yeah. was shocking just when she uh, brought me back out of induction. Yeah. It took four hours. This was a four-hour process. Right, okay. And, uh, and she says... This is you've had an LBL that uh, yeah, this could be easily written up because having that experience of joining your your energy, I your, yourself, soul, whatever you want to call it, broader perspective, but, yeah. But it really gave a whole different meaning to the magnificence of who we really are, mm -hmm. and we have to really. I'm so grateful for that experience because I, now I can appreciate that my magnificence which really is not my magnificence as the ego but it's sources magnificence let me ask you how do you feel about the cult leader now completely understanding completely forgiven I do mean, you love her I, I love her i love him or her we're going to reveal she's a, it's a i know you're not going to tell us who it is but no. it was a woman it was a woman most people think that cult leaders or gurus are men. And so it's interesting that it was a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And you'd think that a woman would have more, I don't know, would be less, more. I feel, I feel love. I feel love. I feel much more love than before. Than I, I mean, I could say, well, I don't know if I loved her. Well, I do loved her on a certain level. But now I can say from my soul, yeah. I love you. I love you. Thank I forgive you. you yeah. And. Thank you for the ride. My compassion exceeds uh, my all the bad things that you've done. Yeah. Can you feel grateful for what she put you through? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm yeah. so grateful. And what about dad? Oh, absolutely. I, I'm so grateful. And I, and I mentioned that in my book. I said, yeah. thank you, dad, and thank you, you leader, yeah. for, for giving me these gifts of, of growth and understanding yeah. and forgiveness. Yeah. You know, forgiveness is not easy. I'm still learning well, that lesson. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, but but under, coupling forgiveness with compassion and understanding makes it much easier. And, and I'm able to, I don't think there's anybody that I haven't forgiven. Yeah. So let me ask you, I'm going to quiz you a bit more. We're going to wrap it up in a minute. Okay. 
so all those years of working as a um, practitioner, as a clinician, you know, helping people with their mental constructs, were you sort of teaching them about forgiveness or were you weren't coming at it from that angle, were you? No, not really. Right. Um, not really. But at the same time, uh, I would try to help them to understand that if they were having problems, probably their persecutors were also having problems exactly as well. Exactly right, yeah. Yeah, I didn't quite touch on the concept of, well, you know, it's probably you should consider forgiving them because that would be something probably that they would not be able to wrap their mind around because I, would, I think they would have to come from a, a different spiritual uh, position to do that. And I know. Uh, in the work I do, forgiveness is the number first step. It's like the first step. And I have to say, I've had not too many, but I've had a few people who can't do it, who just like, they just run screaming from me saying, you're crazy. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to forgive. Yeah. And, and I, like, I go, well, I get that. But then you need to go through a whole lot of other processes before you come to me. Because right. if you're coming to me and you want to feel better, forgiveness is like number one. I get Absolutely. people to do all that. I get people to do what your guide, your guide got you to do. I, I get them to do that. Yeah. I, with, right. um, with the friend I was telling you about who was a heroin addict for 35 years, right. she had this stuff on her um, sister. It's not that her sister had harmed her, but she just hated her sister. And so after many, you know, sessions of counselling, I got her to ring her sister. And the only way I got her to ring her sister and ask for her sister's forgiveness was because she said, my sister hates me so much. When she sees my number come up, she doesn't answer the phone. So with this logic, she's like, okay, I'll do what Karen says because then she's pestering me so much. <laughs> <laughs> I know that my sister won't answer the phone. <laughs> oh, Karen. So she rings, she rings, right? And her sister says, hello? <laughs> and then she, she put the phone out and she's like, oh, she's answered the phone. Like, you take the phone. And I'm like, no, you're going to do what I... <laughs> so... To her credit, she did. She did the whole forgiveness. She, she, she said, you know, I really appreciate you and I can see her. And, you know, she, she was really authentic and really real and she did it. And do you know what's really amazing? This is quite a few years ago now. This is probably about six or seven years ago. Today, it's like they spent 40 years hating themselves. It's, today, it's like those 40 years never existed. That's wonderful. It's, it's that is the power of forgiveness. Power of forgiveness. Yeah. That is the power of forgiveness. Yeah. It was hilarious, though, when she answered the phone. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, darling one. Oh, okay. Now, well, how are we going to wrap this up? What would you like to leave people with? What's your message um, to the world, Mike? <laughs> take risks. Take risks. Uh, know that you are being guided. Mm -hmm. uh, know that you are not alone. Each one of us has cosmic or very spiritual, powerful beings who are with us. Mm -hmm. um, call in your angels. What Lorna Byrne says, there are tons of unemployed angels. Yeah. Employ them. Bring them in. Exactly. Uh, they're waiting for you to, you have to call and you have to make the call in order for them to come in to help you. We have all these helpers. 
but we're not using them because we don't call them into action. They can't interfere in our free yeah, will to exactly. ask them to, to come in. Yeah, that's, that's cosmic the whole beings. Thing. It's interesting because during your time with the cult, they kept talking about the cosmic beings, the spiritual beings, the cosmic beings. And so I guess that when you left that, you sort of left all that lingo behind, you know, like yeah. angels and stuff. And now you've come right back to it, but with a completely new perspective. Like, oh, totally different. Yeah. 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 Totally different. Yeah, mm. absolutely. You bet. Mm. Absolutely. So it, it, just, it just changes life. My life today is just so different. I never even imagined that I'd be at this stage where I would be able to say the things that I'd saying and uh, even writing this book. I mean, it's just a... It, it, it's amazing to me. I'm just like with my mouth wide open. Is this really happening? You know, so it's don't be surprised if it happens to you too. I yeah. guess the message that I'm trying to get across to everybody. You'll see it when you believe it, right? As right. beautiful Wayne Dyer would say. I don't know if he coined that phrase, but we'll we'll grant him that. He'll see it when you believe it. Yeah, yes. once you start to open love, once you start to shift your paradigm. Now, what did you say? We had paradigm paralysis and paradigm flexibility. flexibility right. So once you get a bit more flexible inside your paradigm. <laughs> well, and also uh, belief systems have paradigm uh, hooks. And those are the ones that, that get you hooked through fear yeah. and grief. And I think there's one other message that I want to, to really get across. No matter what you have been told, there are no things out there to get you. There are no evil spirits. There are no devils. There are no demons. This is what is coming out of the research. And it's my understanding that these are all fabrications. So stop fearing that which does not exist. The requirements of fear are that you uh, invoke this or do this or do the other. Let it go. Even Garnet Schulhauser, yeah. in your book, in your book, uh, Awakening from death. Yeah, awakened by death. He yeah. has he has a whole section in there where uh, his Albert is telling them there are no evil spirits. Yeah, you and there's nothing to fear. Well, you know, I get a lot of argument with that too because people say I've experienced evil spirits, but um, there are thought forms. You know, manifestation first happens with thought, right? So there are thought frequency and thought forms, and the thing about evil if you want to give it a label like evil because as we say everything is as we believe it to be dance with the devil uh you know if you want to perceive something as bad then um you're going to experience that the more that you buy into that paradigm the more you attract yeah. it to you so right. if you see everything as good then you can only attract that frequency so exactly. it's all it's all law of attraction you can have these evil or negative experience with what you perceive as spirit or demons or because you you create it so right if you believe it they, you create it if you they become your paradigm see it when you believe it whether it is exactly. a good thing or a bad thing you will experience it so that's when people say oh you know people had ndes and they went to hell or they had these demonic spirits come and attack them you know like if you believe something to be true you will manifest that experience of it that reality <laughs> Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And also, uh, the research tells us that when NDEers have those experiences, they plan those in their pre-life plan. Yeah. Their souls had to learn something exactly. from those experiences. Exactly. But that doesn't mean that they're real. It's yeah. It was fabricated 
so that they could have that experience of it's, overcoming that fear. It's a manifestation of the thought form. But yeah, the only true reality is love. That's the only truth. Love yeah. is only love, love is real. I, we have a musician, only love is real. He wrote a song, only love is real. Only love is real. Well, and it is. Yeah. Love is at the core of reality. Love is at the core of all of it, right? It's at the core of what we perceive as the evil and the devil and everything. It's like it it creates from that creative. It's all created from love. Right, exactly, exactly, yes. So if people want to join us, uh, we do have a uh, Freedom from Fear-Based Belief Systems on on Facebook and also uh, the Face of the Iguana on Facebook. So if you want to join us, uh, please uh, uh, sign up and... um, we are a closed group, but um, you can, we'll welcome you. So, so it'd be more paradigm busting in the face of the iguana. Um, sorry, in the, what do you call it? Freedom from, what's your Facebook group? Freedom from? Freedom from fear-based belief systems. Yeah. Right. Busting yes. paradigms inside that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences you. and your story with us on the show. You, Karen. I, I, Thank you very much. I appreciate it. God bless. What a simply sublime man. Isn't he beautiful? Michael Hoffman. Just oh, a wealth of experience. You know, he says he's retired um, because I think he's on the wrong side of 70. I don't know. Anyway, might be 60, might be 70. But anyway, he, um, but he has, he's just a wealth of information a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of experiences to share with people. And I was just chatting to him then and saying, why don't you do one-on-ones with people? Because you're just, you're amazing. And uh, he's really started to connect to his um, psychic abilities and channeling his guides and channeling. He's just amazing man, amazing man, beautiful man. So remember to join his Facebook. And also if you want to um, Facebook group, join our Facebook group. Our Facebook group is called the, uh, awakening empowerment network on facebook so uh it's not that active there's about i don't know three or four hundred people on there but i want people to talk i want people to talk about the shows i want you to talk about your experiences i want you to talk about your awakening experiences your spiritually transformative experiences i want people to get on there and talk it's a free you know discussion group on on facebook and i share the shows and i share the books that we do (laughs) and um yeah, so come come in and uh, discuss. Tell tell me your experiences. Maybe I'll put you on the show one day. <laughs> Join and tell me your experience in the Facebook group. Also, we've got all the Facebook pages, Accentuate the Positive Occurrence Wayne, Accentuate the Positive Radio or Media, and Blissful Beings, Reminders from Home is the guidance that I put out through my guides. That's a Facebook page as well. Oh, there's all sorts of things. Awakened by Death is also another Facebook page, the book Awakened by Death. I was just telling Mike, Michael, that you really should just have it all on one page because administering all these different pages and groups is like time consuming. I wish it was all just one page, one group. And of course, we have the Inner Sanctum Facebook group as well and chat room. We have the chat room, but that's for, the, that's for members only. That's for people that join up. And that's a paid thing. It's a paid gig. It's like $25 a month. It's not expensive. Australian, which is like under $20 for you if you're in the States or euros it's very inexpensive um also again i want people to share if their experiences there and um i don't know getting people to share their experiences is not always easy sometimes people kind of 
clam pop when it comes to these things. Even Mike said that um, that last experience he had with the hypnotherapist, the life between life session that he had, LBL session, he uh, he only had that a week ago. I don't think he was going to share that um, on the show, but I loved that experience. That was that was an amazing experience. That was so transformative. All the work he's done, all the clinical hip, um, psychology and all that work, and he has this one LBL experience which finally gets him to uh, forgiveness, to let go of um, holding on to that resentment for the cult leader. Forgiveness is a magical, magical thing. Magical thing. Who are you going to make peace with this year? That's the slogan for Peace Day, which we've just had, 21st of September. Who are you going to make peace with this year? You don't do it for them, you do it for yourself. So I hope you enjoyed the show. And Frances Key's coming up in the Inner Sanctum, the teen books. You know, I rave about Frances and her books. She has just put on an Aussie musical called My Aussie Song about her mother. Her mother was born in Australia, met a US sailor who was out here during the war or just after the war and fell in love and went back to America and married him and brought up her family in America. And Crystal Key, Teddy they called her, Crystal, what was her real name? Crystal was her second name. Anyway, she dies in 2010 and starts channeling through Francis wisdom from the other side, which is just the most profound wisdom. Four books, it turned into four books from a question on a plane. Francis is looking out the plane into the clouds and saying, Mum, Mummy, where are you now? After she transitions and her mum comes through and she says, Ah, oh, I'm here <laughs> and starts talking to her. And Francis thinks, it's just for me, right? It's just mum talking to me. But this, this like her crown vortex just opened and this channeling came through and it wasn't just her, it was like the whole team, her whole team channeling through Francis and it turned into four books and they're called the Team Book Series. Incredible, beautiful wisdom. So Francis is going to be on uh, 13th of um, October, 14th in Australia, Monday morning here, Sunday afternoon in the States. She'll probably tell us about her musical and how all that's been going and um, we're going to discuss some of the wisdom in the books. So, And uh, anything else you want to discuss, that's what the Inner Sanctum's for. Love you all. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me for another show. And remember, if you want to join us on Facebook, the Awakening Empowerment Network. And remember to book, get that book, Awakened by Death. <laughs> See you again next time. Big love. Bye for now.